Do you like all things spooky? How about chilling stories that have you reaching for the covers? In this podcast, we're going under the covers to delve into all things from chilling haunts to your worst nightmares. I'm Morgan. And I'm Emily. And this is why we don't Don't sleep sleep alone. alone. Are you ready? I heard you press the record button, so now I'm all nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Morgan Willard, everyone gets nervous from the sound of a button (laughs) trembling it's fine how are you doing you know no one cares Uh, um if any (laughs) (laughs) thanks appreciate i literally said that i wasn't gonna do that and then i did anyway i felt like i had to since i said that i wasn't going to i just want it to be on the record that morgan willard oh my god she said on the record and that this is an abusive relationship mm. and that she doesn't care about me. Oh my god. She's only using me for my voice. Kind of like ah. Ursula. <laughs> but the people I won't be bullying are the people who check us out on social media. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, segue. Love those segues. <laughs> Every time. So check us out if you haven't already. Every Wednesday we post a summary of the corresponding episode. Ooh, she used the $3 word, corresponding. Look at Ooh. me. I'm smart. It's midnight. And We're she's fine. got $3 words. Yes. Um, and we also put a corresponding picture as well. Um, we also do stupid videos. So if you like stupid videos, yes, check it out. We have a and new best friend. Yep. Jerry. He's awesome. He's here with us. He's in our hearts always. So you can find us at do not sleep alone on instagram and if you have any questions comments concerns or any type of requests for episodes for us to cover you can also email us at do not sleep alone official at gmail.com see and we would love to hear your feedback or any episodes that you would like us to cover yes please which actually this one was referred to us by our friend nick nicholas Um, he was the one who shot me a text message after giving me a really really cute text message about how awesome we were doing that made me cry but i'm fine (laughs) nick you're awesome thanks nicholas he was my photographer for my wedding fun fact no one cares (laughs) (laughs) let's jump right in so today we are going to be talking about robert hansen the butcher baker uh, so Hansen was born in Ethersville, Iowa, on February fifteenth, in nineteen thirty-nine. I believe I'm saying that right. At Ethersville. 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 Sounds like a really small town. I've only been to Iowa. Never, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like trying to think. I think that was Idaho that we drove through. Yeah, was definitely Idaho. Yeah. So never. No one's from I- Iowa. Iowa is just random. Villisca, Iowa. Oh, damn. 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 Bringing that back up. Anyways. Anyways. He was born to uh, two bakers named Edna and Christian. They were uh, Danish immigrants. So His father pretty, was a Danish immigrant. His father immigrant. was a Danish immigrant. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. They probably made some delicious. Killer. Danishes. Mm. I can't even imagine. I love me a good pastry. I love, love me a good pastry. Just carbs in general, honestly. 
And of course, like we see in most of these stories, he had a big surprise, strained relationship with his dad, who was like super strict, which I think is kind of like a cultural thing in the Danish culture. Um, just that whole like hardworking aspect and stuff like that. Um, but he would make Robert work like really, really long hours, long, hard hours um, in the family bakery. So Robert grew up with a stutter and severe acne as a child, which he got bullied for throughout school. And he was already kind of a loner and kind of quiet and kind of kept to himself. But like that only made everything worse. Exactly. And he didn't really have any close friends either, which side note, this like could have totally been because of the ostracization that he had growing up and being bullied or like. Maybe it was due to, like, his shyness for not having friends. Like, who knows? But either way, the acne was so bad that it ended up leaving permanent scars that even in his, like, mug shots, yeah. you can still see, like, how bad the scars were. So it's, like, middle school kids can be pretty mean. High school kids can be pretty mean. And growing up in such a small little town, you don't really, like, I'm sure their class size was not ginormous. So it's, like, you're with these kids, like for all of your de- developmental years so it's like it's not like you can go to another school and they're like we don't bully about acne here <laughs> no i mean it's the same kids that are always going to make fun exactly of you. it's like oh we knew you in like the fourth grade and we're still gonna bully you for that one thing that you did in the fourth grade so there are pros and cons to going to a small school So in Robert's free time from the bakery and from school, he found comfort and solidarity where he would hunt and practice archery. So he became a very skilled hunter and tracker, which only got better with time. And like being in this area, too, in Iowa, he had a lot of land to practice on. So that was pretty cool. So after high school graduation, he joined the Army Reserve in 1957, where he would serve for only one week in a month and become even more of a skilled marksman. And a marksman, if we're going to be a little bit more specific, is someone who's especially good at shooting, more specifically a rifle or a pistol, which I had to do some research on because I was just like, I know what a marksman is, but but like what makes a marksman? Yes. So this is also where he had his first sexual experience with a sex worker in New York City. Right. So his first ever experience sexually is not with someone who loves him and but cares about him. A sex worker. Right. Which I guess is kind of common in the military, I guess. It's like... But for your first experience right yeah. out of high school? Well, he wasn't really like... Good with ladies. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so. he even said that like in a couple of interviews too, where he was just like, maybe if I was like better with women, like I could have shot my shot, you know? Yeah, but he didn't have looks going for him, nope. didn't have personality going for him, mm-hmm. had zero confidence because of all of those things. Mm-hmm. And women don't normally gravitate towards men that don't have confidence. Not typically. <laughs> so it's, it makes sense that his first sexual experience would have been with a sex worker versus like a girlfriend or anything like that because so sad. he never really had a girlfriend up to this point even still because... It was high school, like we were talking mm-hmm. about. Small town, everyone makes fun of you from the point mm-hmm. you even started school. Either way, on the days he wasn't serving, so like on the weekends that he wasn't serving the military, he would work with his family at the family-owned bakery. 
just to kind of kill the time. One year later, he was discharged, and there wasn't really much about why he was discharged, because I did lots of digging, and it wasn't like he did anything wrong, because that would have been on his record. So I think he was just discharged because he served his minimum time, basically. Um, He would then often volunteer as an assistant drill sergeant over at the police academy in the town Pocahontas. I love saying that. Um, Which was pretty close by to where he grew up. And in 1960, he married a local girl who was pretty young and she's not really anything to write home about. There wasn't really anything significant about their marriage. Um, But all we know is that they just got married in 1960 and that she was pretty young. So that's it. He had something going for him at that point in time. In December of 1960, only months after his marriage, he was turned in and arrested for burning down a school bus garage where he would be later sentenced to three years of prison. And while serving, his wife would divorce him, which arson. We just talked about this, like literally in our last episode, right? And also he specifically had said he wanted to burn the school bus garage down because all he ever had was negative thoughts and negative experiences with the school and so he directly just wanted to stop looking at the school and get it like out of his sight and away from him and also wanted to pour a lot of hatred into it. So what other way to do it than to burn it down and literally see it completely like crumble? Because like moving would be like too much. Right. That's one way to heal from your trauma, I guess. But it's like a spite thing. So we already mm-hmm. see at this point he's doing our all the arson stuff which Mm -hmm. we talked about before that's a huge huge sign of someone who's struggling um with mental illness and then we also are seeing him turning to violence to deal with his problems Mm -hmm. versus like positively channeling them yeah he's just automatically going to more of a negative and yeah and he's like an adult right (laughs) like this is not like some 16 year old kid who's like setting a leaf on fire because he thinks that it's cool like this is at a level where he's now an adult and he could have potentially harmed people and he still didn't care which is what is the red flag not the fact that he was just playing with fire but that it was such unlock that it was such unlock that it was such <laughs> <laughs> are you having a strong <laughs> I think you're having a strong That it was on such a large scale. We did it. I said so it. So proud of you. Thank you. And while in prison, he even received a psychiatric diagnosis of manic depression, which we now know is bipolar disorder with periodic schizophrenic episodes. And most of these schizophrenic episodes, from what I read into, were just a lot of hallucinations and then feeling like he needed to right all the wrongs that were done to him which we've heard that before his psychiatrist also said that he had an infantile personality and he was super immature in his reactions and how he would react to things he had low expectations of himself and high expectations on society so holding society at a higher level of yeah it's don't do it yes don't do it um, lack of empathy and emotional maturity, low self-esteem, and little to absolutely no willpower, which once again is very common in these cases with arson and like petty crimes. 
which apparently a lot of people thought that his was a wholesome bakery because it started doing really well and everyone loved all of his baked goods and loved him. And he had enough money then to purchase a bush plane in 1982, which here in Orlando, if someone was like, yeah, I'm just going to go buy a plane, all of us would be like, what? He got money. Uh, (laughs) That's really weird. But it was actually super common in this part of America because many people had limited access on their properties and it was really useful for hunting. So we're talking about Alaska, right? You could get to all the spots where you're not going to be able to drive because the mm-hmm. frozen tundra or two, there's not going to be as many people there. Mm-hmm. And three, you can get a bird's eye view so you know mm. exactly where the herds are and where to go hunting. But he was denied a license because of the medication he was on. And he didn't really care. He still bought the plane. He still flight it. And it became a huge part of his personality. He said, whatevs. Yeah. He's like, breaking the law, breaking the law. The law can't stop me, obviously. So I'm just going to keep going. He's only been to prison how many times? Right. (laughs) Like, I think I've lost, I've literally lost count at this point. It's fine. And he just kept going with life as normal. People loved him. And I think the plane gave him more confidence mm-hmm. because now he had enough money to literally buy a plane, Yeah, which in return allowed him to hunt more mm-hmm. and to get to the spots where other people couldn't be. And it's kind of like having the cool car in the parking lot. Exactly. And his bakery was just a lot of people's favorite place to go. So that's just kind of how it was. Mm-hmm. So remember when we said his wife and kids would go away for the summer to Europe? Yeah. And by we, I mean, you said that? Yeah, of course. I think we might have a clue as to why he sent them away. Hmm. On June 13th of 1983, Hanson would offer $200 to 17-year-old Cindy Paulson to perform oral sex for him. And when she agreed and hopped in the car, he would then hold her at gunpoint, drive her to his home, take her to a basement... Well, a basement, his basement, wrap a chain around her neck four times and proceed to rape and torture her for five hours. Right. And he had this thing about his basement or man cave, I guess. Basically, it had a bunch of animals that he had killed and stuffed all over the walls. So it had all of his trophies Mm. from killings. Which his trophies were a really big deal to him. And one of his friends that he used to go hunting with even made a comment about it saying that he was really weird about... He didn't like hunting for the outdoor reasons like most people do. He liked hunting for the kill Mm -hmm. and the trophy. But that could have been because he was a skilled marksman. Like, Um, no one knew yet, but like that could have been from his military training. So it's like... I could see why people would turn a blind eye to it. Right. But either way, this basement had all of his killings and this huge giant bear rug on the floor. And at one point he asked this girl to come over that they were like kind of going to start dating. Mm -hmm. And he brought her down into the basement and he asked her, hey, do you want to make love on this rug? 
Because he had something weird about wanting. You want to make love on this rug. I'm oh sorry. I had to. <laughs> but he had something weird about wanting to make love on this rug. Which we're not kink shaming. No, but he definitely had made a sexual connection with the action of killing or mm -hmm. torturing. Mm -hmm. And she ended up saying, no, I don't want to do that. And he was like, okay, cool. Bye. She left and that was the end of it. But unfortunately, as we see with Cindy Polson, she was going to possibly be paid for her services. Mm -hmm. And so instead, he brought her down to the basement, still on the rug, but this time not by free will. Exactly. <laughs> as one would say. And... After a while, Paulson even remembers Hanson like taking a nap on a nearby couch. All the while, she's handcuffed and chained by the neck to the post in his basement. Like, and he's just, you know, eh, so tired from torturing and raping you for five hours. I'm going to take a cute little nap. So it's like, I guess he had a lot of confidence in, in his chain work or whatever to think that she was not going to escape in that time. But when Hanson awoke, he then took Paulson to his car and took her to Merrill Airport, where he kept his plane and told her that he would take her out to his cabin. And I quote, mm. which we later found out was like just a little janky old shack in the middle of Anchorage, Alaska, that you could only access by boat or bush plane. And the shack was actually a meat shack. So... It literally wasn't even a cabin, wasn't anything. Ew. It was a meat shack that had a metal bar through the middle of it. And that's where people would like typically hang up the animals they had mm -hmm. just killed to prep the meat and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it was that bar that he probably planned to take her and chain her up to. Mm. That makes me uncomfy. <laughs> Doesn't it make all of us uncomfy? Just gonna say. Mm. So he was just like, she, she was just another like pawn in his little game. Right. That's gross. She was just like another animal that mm -hmm. he hunted mm -hmm. on the streets. Yeah. And then. Which I feel like with a lot of, you know, serial killer and serial rapists, that's a very common theme is the going out and hunting. Yes. It's like they always describe it as like hunting. So I think that it's really cool and interesting that he actually was a hunter. So it's like he was trained. Yeah. It's just really there's so many parallels. And I think that's cool and interesting and not a like disgusting way but just in a literal way like he literally hunted and he literally hunted for women as well yeah very interesting but once they arrived at the airport hansen was busy loading the plane and cindy noticed that he never locked the front seat doors and saw a way out so she planted her shoes in the back passenger seat and made a freaking run for it for a nearby busy street and hansen then chased after sydney once he realized that she was like running like a track star and 
he never ended up being able to catch up to her because she ended up getting to the road before he could and flagging down a truck driver, which after the truck driver saw how like disgruntled and like fearful she was like immediately he like pulled over and that's whenever Hanson fled. Well, it's crazy because she was also completely naked and handcuffed naked, no shoes, no like everything. Yeah. And so for her, for him to even stop to me is amazing. I get that. Like you're saying, oh, you know, like he sees how disgruntled mm-hmm. she is. Like he feels the need to stop and help her. But I don't know what I would do if someone just was screeching, running towards me for help. And well, they were... we see that here on OBT every day. <laughs> and it's usually just a crackhead. But it's like, what would you do? I don't know. Luckily, he did stop, though. And the truck driver took Cindy to Mush Inn. I hope I'm saying that right. Where she would immediately call her boyfriend who was staying in a nearby hotel. While the truck driver went to the closest police station to report what had just happened. Like, um, naked girl running in the street. Just picked her up, dropped her off at a hotel. Don't know if she's okay or not, but like, you should definitely check it out. Um, by the time the police arrived to mush in, Cindy had already called a cab and moved to Big Timber Hotel, which they actually ended up getting that information from the receptionist at the hotel, which was like really cool of them to even like offer up that information. But I'm assuming since it was cops, they were like, okay, yeah, you should probably know where her whereabouts are. It was in room 110 that Officer Greg Baker responded to the report of the attack. Cindy led Baker to the airstrip, showed him the exact plane it was, and even remembered the tail number, which kudos for her for remembering that and planting her shoes and like planting that evidence so that whenever they did go back and later search his car, they would be able to identify that she was not just some, you know, yeah, teeny bopper sex worker just trying to, you know, cash in on accusing rape, you know? So Cindy remembers like almost all of the small details about Hanson. And I think she really knew what she was doing because, again, she planted the shoes. She did all of that. And she had a really, really good description on what Hanson looked like. So, again good job applause to cindy paulson which she ends up having she has a book now too which i really really want to read so i think i'm going to order it on amazon the police then went to question hansen obviously with the description that cindy paulson had but he claimed that cindy was just causing him a lot of issues since he wouldn't pay the extreme fee for her services basically he was saying like she crazy because she wanted me to pay an outrageous amount you know for a sex worker because again They weren't very well respected during this time. Um, He also had friends that backed him up with an alibi that was like airtight, seemingly. Seemingly. Despite his past run-ins with the law, almost all of the police on the case believed that Hanson was like a good citizen, that he didn't really cause any trouble, and that he could possibly not be the suspect that they were looking for. But Greg Baker actually believed Cindy and wanted to find the evidence to finally get Hanson behind bars for good. So he saw all the red flags. He was like, Cindy, girl, I know you're right. And was really trying to build a case against Hanson. But with that alibi, it was really hard to, you know, pin it on him since he did have other people back up the alibi for him. Again, manipulation. 
It wasn't until Detective Glenn Floth, I hope, again, I'm saying that right, who was investigating the discovery of several bodies around Anchorage, contact the FBI to help build a psychological profile for who the who the who the Corilla Deville could be, (laughs) (laughs) who the killer could be. The profile was almost spot on. And here is what they came up with. Someone with very low self-esteem. Check. A very good, serious hunter. Check. Someone who was consistently rejected by women. Check. Check. Someone who enjoyed trophies. Check. Check. (laughs) And someone with possibly a stutter. Check. Check. (laughs) If they... I swear there was someone in the FBI that was like, there's this guy, his name is Robert Hansen, and let's just write down the description of him because I'm pretty sure it's him. Honestly, I feel like that's probably what they did do, but like the FBI wanted to sound fancy, so that's what they did instead. And they were like, we have no one in mind, but... Here's our profile. <laughs> and then they were like, um, we might know someone. The local police station is just like... I have some concerns. <laughs> Rob, um, Bob. Bob. You, Can I call you Bob? <laughs> could you could you come in? We just have like a few questions. Just a few. Just, just like, a couple. Bring in some donuts and you'll be out in a jiffy. Yeah. Which with the combination of Cindy's testimony and the description of Hansen, they ended up being able to grant a warrant for Hansen's house to be searched and for him to be brought in for further questioning. And while searching his house, they found lots of stuff, obviously. So they discovered a Remington 552 rifle, rifle, a Thompson Contender 7mm single-shot pistol, an aviation map with specific locations marked, like... Crossed. Crossed. Like, X marks the spot. Various pieces of jewelry... Newspaper clippings, a Winchester 12 gauge shotgun, a driver's license, and various ID cards, which some of them belong to the dead women. As incriminating as these were, the most important piece of evidence that was found was actually the last thing that they found, which was a 223 caliber Mini 14 rifle. And the reason this was so incredibly important is because police had found shells of that specific gun in the graves of these women that they had found around knick river (gasps) and the reason why that's important (gasps) is because that aviation map that they had found in hansen's house was of knick river with all of the marks all over it (laughs) so they're starting to connect the dots they see these marks they see this map they realize that this gun is related to the shells that they found around that area. And that like seals the deal. Check, check, check. It all comes together. Checkity, check, check. They're like, this is of all the graves. And they finally had him. They were like, we gotcha. Start answering some of our questions. Check me. Hansen realizes that they have all the evidence. He's been got. They have the gun and they have two bodies and he's caught and so whenever he goes in he decides he's going to confess for Mm -hmm. these two bodies just two 
Don't mind the other like 20 marks on the map. Yeah, don't worry about that. But they haven't found those bodies yet. Mm -hmm. They've only found these two. And so he just confesses to the Eklutna Annie and Sherry Morrow cases. But investigators know there's more because the map. So they give him another chance. And they're like, hey. You going to come clean or not? How many people have you killed in Alaska? They ask him, and he, like, sits there for a while. And then they say, because we have this map, and it's corresponding mm-hmm. to the Kluna Annie and Sher- Sherry Morrow. So what aren't you telling us? And it was at that moment he realized everything was over. Mm-hmm. And police that were in the same room all say they could completely see his personality change from their friend, the baker, to mm-hmm. a complete killer. Like, they said that you could just tell the personality shift, and it was like his face changed, mm-hmm. like his de- He took his demeanor. mask off. Yeah. Everything changed. And he confessed to 17 more murders in that area. And... The, like, district attorney that mm-hmm. did the case and everything, once they were looking at all of the killings on the map, what they realized he had been doing is genuinely not only hunting these women on the streets, but he was also hunting them in the woods. Mm-hmm. So when he would take them out in his bush building to the shack, mm-hmm. he would then let them run free like like these girls would think that they have a chance of escaping and then he would just track them and hunt them and then move on and he ended up getting sentenced to life in prison plus 461 years (laughs) without the chance of parole which i think it's always so funny when they do like life in prison which i know that life in prison is not like for the rest of your life i know that it's like an actual number but like whenever they tag on like an an, insane yeah like an obscene like just a crazy number like how do they even arrive at that i'm sure it's like on the counts of murder and all that kind of stuff and making sure that all those families feel that justice by him being sentenced you know to each individual i see why they do it but i always just think it's so funny and redundant whenever they do that and then at 75 years old, he died of natural causes. And something that I think is kind of funny, and it made me laugh a little bit, was that he had a, and I quote, do not resuscitate order on him. So if something was happening and like they could have resuscitated him back to mm-hmm. life, there was literally an order that was like, hey, you can't. I wonder if that was by him or if it was by. I think I think it was prison. by the prison. Hmm. Like it was just part of the deal of like, if you're gonna die, like you're gonna die. So. Oopsies! <laughs> Too Don't bad. choke on your breadstick. Too bad. So sad. Except I'm not sad. No, none of us are sad. And it was really, really sad and really, really cute that at the very end of the case, after he got sentenced um baker greg Mm -hmm. baker the one that 
first responded to Cindy's call. He was there, obviously, Mm -hmm. because he was a huge part in this case. And as he was, like, walking out of the courthouse, Cindy, like, completely wrapped herself around him and was just, like, saying thank you. Like, thank you so much. Like, you have no idea. Thank you so much. And he said that... Because that could have been another case just swept under the rug. Yeah. Because there was no respect for sex workers. Mm -hmm. There was none. They... And that's why Hanson targeted them, because... No one would care if they went missing. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter because they were already on the run from other things. Most of the time they were disowned from their families. It didn't matter. But he knew and he wanted to help her. Mm -hmm. And he was just saying how he couldn't even recognize her almost because from that experience, she got off the streets and started eating regularly and just became an entirely different person. Yeah. And I just, that's so sad. I love that. It's just, it's just so precious. It just makes me so happy. I love that for her. And she really, I feel like her writing that book about her experiences and like her spreading the word really started something that kind of sunk into people's minds. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. until years later that she wrote this book, but I think putting it out there and being like, okay, like here are some things that maybe I did wrong but like no one deserves that crap no so if you ever get invited by a random guy to go in his bush plane (laughs) doesn't matter how nice you think he is Mm -mm. doesn't matter how nerdy you think he is just don't do it don't do it stay at home so don't get into random planes with strangers Mm -hmm. and Don't Don't sleep sleep alone. alone. That was a good ending. Thanks. You did it all.